G'day, I'm Indy Wood and this is The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events and personalities from around the Bega Valley. And this week on the program, well, I'm going to hand over control to my co-founder and regular contributor, Graham Farham. Graham's guest this week is Brian Smith. Brian is a well-known local personality, has spent his time involved in Bega's equestrian scene was called up by the Australian Defence Force to go to war, but then was lucky enough not to see a day of conflict, and has then also been involved in the clay target shooting scene and represented Australia at one point. Brian Smith is a local beggar lad and is Graham Farham's guest on this week's episode of The Local Update. And also, Graham will spend a little bit of time talking about the community of Pambula. Over the last few weeks, Graham Farham has spent some time exploring a 100-year-old book called The Princess Highway, Bensdale to Bega. This week he's taking a historic look at the community of Pambula. It being a time when people can start travelling again, I thought I'd better have another look at picturesque travel. Prince's Highway, Bairnsdale to Bega. W. Stanley Vogt, Bairnsdale, Victoria. No date, circa 1921. I'm looking at pages 76 and 7 and ultimately at page 88. On 76 it says Pambula. The township of Pambula, situated 202 miles south of Sydney by steamer, is a busy dairying and agricultural centre with extensive fertile flats through which the Pambula River flows. It has an ideal position on the Prince's Highway, within half an hour's journey of the famous Marimbula Lakes and good roads connect up with Eden and Bega. The banks of the Pambula River are renowned for their famous oyster beds, over seven miles of the foreshores on either side being under lease. One of the most pleasant outings is that to Pambula Beach, a couple of miles distance, noted for its exceedingly fine hard sand and pretty shells. In the vicinity of Pambula, mining operations have been carried on extensively and great things in the gold mining industry are predicted in the near future. There are many fine public buildings, including the hospital, which is of high standard and repute. Three photographs and three advertisements accompany the text for Pambula. Watson Brothers, the top stores, Pambula, phone six, storekeepers, drapers and general providers, motorists, Benzene and oils, full stocks. Cheapest store in the far south coast. Pictorial postcards. Emmy Stewart, saddle and harness maker and stationer. Agent for Australian Mutual Fire Insurance. O'Canter City Tailor. Shepherd's Seeds. Sporting Requisites. News Agency. Latest newspapers and periodicals. Confectionery, fancy goods and tobacco. Pictorial postcards on sale. Post Office Box 6, Pambula. 
speaking of the latest newspaper. The Pambula Voice, established 1890, published weekly, bright, newsy and up-to-date, latest cable and district news. Subscription, 20 shillings yearly. Job printing, circulation throughout far south coast districts. J.B. Wilkins and Son, proprietors. Of the three photographs, one is captioned Main Street Pambula. It shows a dirt road, wide enough for a dray to turn in, with what we know as the top pub in the foreground, a row of shops and the slate roof of the church in the background. Another is of the post office on the opposite side of the street, recognisable as the one still standing. The last is a panoramic view of Pambula Flats, showing courthouse in foreground. The courthouse has been the home of the Beaver Valley Genealogical Society for some years. Hmm. Of added interest in this photograph is the constable, a tiny figure, in the dress of a trooper, white moleskin trousers, black boots and black tunic. On page 88, both Pambula hotels have advertisements. In 1921, the commercial hotel, phone 12, had been established 33 years. It is described as the leading house for the travelling public, superior accommodation, billiard rooms, ladies and gents' bathrooms, hot water laid on, motor sheds, good stables and paddocks for horses. Tariff, three and six and eight shillings daily. Best brands of liqueurs on sale. Steamers met. Motor trips arranged for the ocean beach and picturesque spots of the district. James Robertson, proprietor. The Royal Hotel Pambula is the Commercial Association House. Superior accommodation. Tariff, moderate. Only the latest brands of spirits, wines and ales stocked. Surf bathing, fishing, oystering and boating. Motor cars for hire. Good garage. Phone 5. W.J. Tweedy, proprietor. The name Tweedy struck me as familiar and I eventually found it again back on page 61. W.G. Tweedy, this time. Proprietor of the Bombala Times, established 1863. Inviting subscriptions to the only paper published in Bombala. Circulates from Bega, New South Wales, Thorbos, Victoria. Printed and published every Friday. The same advertisement also appears on page 95. It slightly dawned on me that something else was unusual about Tweedy's advertisement for the Royal Hotel Pambula. In a publication which is primarily a vehicle for the photographic art of W. Stanley Vogt, Tweedy has chosen to use a simple, effective and economical artist's drawing of the facade of the hotel. Charmingly, the shading of the veranda indicates the physical position of the building in relation to the sun. 
The realisation of the anomaly led me to reinvestigate the book in a new light, a different perspective. Whilst there are decorative borders, small glyphs used as spaces and various typographical flourishes, on only three other occasions have visual artists been engaged. All three are advertisements. One for Bairnsdale's Drapery Bargain Centre, your mail orders or personal visit appreciated, is similar in concept to Tweedy. It is a much more elaborate drawing of the facade of Johnson's Arcade. It shows a more modern style of architecture, for 1921, of sheet glass panels, glass bricks and tiles, with complicated shading and reflections. It occupies half of page 113. The other two are more set pieces. The first of these, on page 102, for George Kinnan, ophthalmic optician and spectacle specialist, Buchanan Street, Bairnsdale, opposite the Terminus Hotel, carries an artist's drawing of pince-nez glasses, reminiscent of medieval shop shingles. Divided across the two lenses is written what I take to be a trade name, Fitzall Eyeglass. The second and last example on page 114 is a full-page, single-block advertisement for Southern Cross Engineering Works, Bairnsdale, J.F. McMahon, proprietor. It features a bust portrait of a gaunt, moustachioed man with cap, apron and eye goggles, wielding a live welding tool. Over a background of various metal objects, among which I can recognise a clamp, pliers, shovel and cogged wheel, is a panel which informs me... In the greatest workshops and factories of the world, oxyacetylene is widely used for cutting and joining metals of every description. No other process can approach it for speed, reliability and low cost. Every year it keeps thousands of brakes, machinery parts and working tools off the the scrap heap by enabling them to be repaired quickly cheaply and well. Whatever the broken or worn part in farm implements, motor car or any machinery, oxyacetylene welding makes it strong as new for a fraction of the cost of replacement. Get all particulars from J.F. McMahon, proprietor, Comox Welding Station. In all... It reminds me of early examples of Soviet art designed to glorify the heroic worker. Graham Farron is the former proprietor of Mumford's Books here in Bega. He's also had some involvement with Bega Valley's Regional Gallery and is now a member of Bega's Historical Society and the Bega Pioneers Museum through the Historical Society. Each week I invite Graham to look at the issues, events and personalities from our past that have made the Beaker Valley what it is today. You're listening to The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events and personalities from around the Beaker Valley. My name's Indy Wood. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast using your favourite podcast provider. And please, subscriptions, ratings and reviews is how this podcast gets more attention on the podcast charts. (laughs) Thank you.
Brian Smith is one of those personalities around the Bega Valley that is iconic of any country town. You'll see him wandering town in big boots and a 10-gallon hat. And he's the kind of guy that stops on the street corner anywhere to have a chat with you. I remember a few months ago I was sitting outside a cafe in Bega and Brian stopped, found a shady spot to sit and decided to start reciting poetry and telling me stories about his travels around Australia. We'd never met before, but I looked like a local and maybe I was worth chatting to. Through his life, Brian has done things like long-distance driving jobs, been called up to war and served for all of three months and didn't see any conflict, and represented Australia at one point in clay target shooting. Graham Farham sat down with Brian Smith recently to hear some more stories about his life. Firstly, I worked on sheep and cattle stations. Gunned down a station, there was 32,000 acres on that, I worked on that. And Wing V station at Triamble, I worked there. And then I worked bulldozers around there for a Welshman for a couple of years. Oh, okay. Building dams and clearing and all Building that sort of stuff. Building dams and clearing. Bulldozer yeah, does a bit of work, doesn't it? Yeah. More work than a man work. can do. Yeah, he had a D7-dozer and I worked there for a couple of years. And there's an experience. He said that if I could put up with him, he wouldn't sack me. <laughs> I bet he regretted that a few times in the first six months. <laughs> you had a bit of a run in occasionally. And one day he did sack me. <laughs> and I said to him, now, what you rubbish you're going on with? He was wild. He was stirred up. He's waving his arms and everything. And he could fight. I wouldn't take yeah. him on. And I said to him, what are you going on about? You told me when I started that if... I could put up you wouldn't sack me. Well, I haven't told you I can't put up with you yet, but it's been bloody close a few times. And he's going down the road and he's waving his arms and he's going on and I'm finished because I didn't push a tree out on the way down. Ah. So when he went, I went back up and pushed the old tree over. Mm. I was making a road down through this place for George Golden at Yarraba. And anyway, I went home that night and um, he's got a bit of tea on mm. the caravan and... He, he never talked much and I never talked much. Next morning I just got up and went back to work again. That was the end of that. you got a good memory, Brian. Yeah, I was a bit lucky there. Yeah. So how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, well, I reckon about 94 in the shade and 110 in the sun. <laughs> no, I'm, you, you stay out of the sun. Coming up 87. Coming up to 87. Yeah, yeah. 17th of February I'll be 87. Oh, very it's good. Bigger show. Uh, you be going to the show oh, and we have it on? I've only missed one. Yeah. Did you ever enter anything in the show? Yeah, I leather work and I, I rode in the show a couple of times. You rode in the show I did, too. the Australian stock horse thing. And okay. How'd you go? Then I did. I got second. Second's all right. The best horse won. There was no regret about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you, you could see. Yeah, I'm not stupid. I yeah. could see that. Yeah. It was too good and I got second. So. And, and you shoot. Two. Yeah, clay targets. I do a bit of that. Went to New Zealand a couple of times. How'd you go? Over I got there? hosted to go to New Zealand. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, somebody put you up. Cost me nothing. Excellent. I tried to settle up, but he, he wouldn't take any money. He said, "Old Muldoon can pay for that." <laughs> I took it out to the Prime Minister. Oh, the Prime Minister could do it. <laughs> oh, he had a big rough voice. This one. Very, very good. You were telling me that um, to learn a lot of things. You'd go and find the expert. That's right. Best and, and then you wouldn't say anything. You'd just say, how do you do that? Even if you did know. That would be enough, yeah. Yeah, that would be enough. That's because right, people, yeah. if, you, if you treat them with enough respect and don't pretend that you know it all, a blower, yeah, as, as, as Bill yeah. Brian saying there, um, they'll tell you that little wrinkle that they know. 
that makes life a whole much easier. You know, you might have seen them somewhere, and how do you do that? Yes. Well, if you don't go, oh, I don't know how to do that, and you don't, <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Why do you go to school much? Well, I never t told everyone that either, but I did in fourth class, I left school. Okay. No, because, because you're not moving chance. around or work and moving around, always behind, and I hated it. Yeah. And I did a bit on uh, when I was out here at Illawarra uh, correspondence, and I used to ride a horse down to get to Melbourne Corrections off Mississippi Sutherland. Very, very good. Cool. Yeah, ride down there and back and get a bit of help, and then that went by the wayside, and then it's what I could gather along the way. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Well, that. Off that who knew something? That that will make you humble. Right, yeah. I don't yeah. mind that. That's what it was all about with me, it was all his work. Yeah. I did a driving trip from Gundagai to Kyanto when I was 11 year old. Oh my goodness. One man to boy. That's I've, fair, right? I've, I've driven that. Right. You <laughs> driven? <laughs> couldn't imagine doing it. Ernie Chalker was a gun shearer, he was the one and he looked after me. I only got into one argument in the trip, and it wasn't mm. an argument, he had all the say. Or well, the 11 bloke come along, coming up through the poplars into Tuma. Yep. And he said, You got a fat lamb in here. And I said, yeah, there is, and I helped him get it. We and got him out. After Ernie, yeah, and he got his fat lamb gone, and Ernie said, the next time somebody comes here looking for fat lamb, he said, let him find it himself. <laughs> we might like a chopper to on this trip, and we're not going to get one off these things we're driving. <laughs> that was the end of that. that. That was a good argument, and you didn't mind losing it. You no. did pick out the fat lamb, though, so I'm very yeah, pleased that about out. that. Yeah. And you, you were caught up by the government in the long run, because you did a bit of government, uh, you did a bit of national service. Yeah, 1954. Now, uh, first in tape. Yep. And two parades for the Queen in Cleveland Street. One when she come in, and one when she went out. Okay, Brian, you're with the Armoured Corps. Yeah, the 12th National Service Battalion. And uh, I was as close to the Queen as you to me, with all the crowd pushing. Wow. And it's true what my dad always said: fine feathers make fine birds. <laughs> she was dressed for the occasion. Oh, yeah. Apparently we oh, gave yeah. her a rather, rather beautiful wattle spray for yeah. one occasion when she came to, oh, yeah. to it. Yeah. And, and she wears it every time oh, she comes yeah. to Australia yeah, yeah. or every time she's sending a, a broadcast overseas to the colonies, the dominions, the commonwealth. And um, yeah, it's rather, rather fine. But yeah, not, not every day wear. Not every day wear, right. no. Now, you got a story about your medals. Oh, about the medals, yeah. These medals, like gang of cowboys and Indians, they worked the guts out of us for seven weeks because she was coming. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't know where you were marching left or right or where you're going. Just keep marching. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it. Anyway, but then, yeah, then that. And then, anyway, sometime, years, few years, they sent these medals, see? So, thanks for your... Well, the, the, the marching... Twice and yeah. meeting the Queen, yeah. sort of getting a bit closer personal <laughs> there. Up to, yeah, yeah get, getting up there. Yeah. But with the Armoured Corps, what would you actually have been doing, and how long were you? Did was your national service for? Only three months. Only three months. That one. Then later it was six. The okay. real threat of war then and it died. Okay. And that's good. I'm happy about that. And that was based on your birthday, like it yeah, was on your for the Vietnam thing. War. Yeah. I had deferred for a year, so I was around nineteen. When I did that. Uh, and what was your deferment for, Bill? Brian, sorry. Why did you defer for a year? Oh, yeah, because of my mother and father and problems. Looking and after people? Been hard, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that wasn't hard to do, just so long as you're not trying to get out of it. Yep. yep. And I did it. And uh, 
I'll never forget, when I got off the bus, Sergeant Major Duggan was there, and uh, he addressed the, us, and he said, you know, some of you won't want to be here, some of you will hate it, and some of you, but he said, but what I would suggest is that you just get on with it and get what you can out of it. Get what you can out of it. It's your, it's your way of working, so isn't it, Brian? I thought to myself, well, that's the way I'll go. So did you, have to, did you have to work on, um, you know, had you already had bulldozer experience yeah, by then? Yeah, I did. Uh, so, so you'd but work I didn't on... drive the thing as much. Uh, Matilda Tank, tank I, drove, I, I drove three times. And I, uh, yeah, I drove about three times that thing and that, and that was sort of about it, but talk about it and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, you had to learn how and it worked. marching and all that, yeah. Yeah. I was talking... 25 tonne. Uh, uh, that's a bit of a beast to push around. And had two engines in the back, two mm. Leyland engines. Two Leyland engines, mm. yeah. So you could work on them, or they had other mechanics? Yeah, they had all their mechanics and they people did, who were... Just, just instruction. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've always an engine, I called it. Okay, so the, the, the people who joined to be in the armoured corps, yeah. they were there, and then they got a fresh lot of blood when you turned up. Yeah, coming all the time, yeah. Coming all the time. Three months, and then you're gone, and then some more time. Yeah. Ultimately, you, you you got some medals in the mail. Yeah, they're there. Brian, yeah. and, and some turned up with you. Yeah, that's in the it? palm. Like, if you like to hear it, no, it's not too boring. No, please. It come out, I don't know, I've got no recollection wherever it come from, and I've still got it at home, but it's all nearly black and everything. Yeah. Been around a long time. And uh, there was a palm in it, with it, when Silver got it out, and written by Bill Umbrust, and all that's got on it, Bill Umbrust. And then the story below, it didn't have a title. Mm. And, uh, and yep. I tried to get the book and couldn't, but anyway, this is the story. It's raining up in Darwin and the heat is cooking indeed. Sand flies, mosquitoes and bloody ants of every breed. So we brushed off all the insects and packed our clothes and things and headed down the great highway to the town of Alice Springs. We were happy when we got there and we travelled down in style over barren plains and stunted scrub for many a weary mile. And what a pleasant town it is, as sure as there's a god sleeping there beside the river Todge. And it was grand to meet the pioneers and share a drink and joke with Marcus Seal and Robert Buck and many other blokes. And the streets are lined with flowering trees and graceful spear pines rod, and every, nearly every house is brick made from the river Todd. And out at the foot of old Mount Gillen, where the Reverend John Flynn lies, you can stand and watch the hills turn purple while the evening slowly dies. And when I'm back in Darwin, in that dear old land of Nod, I shall be happily dreaming of being back in your little town beside the river Todd. That's lovely, Brian. And there was no explanation of why that should arrive with you, with you now. Good, yeah. I, yeah. Now, if you'd like, the dog on the tackle box. Please. If you can handle that square, I lived there and I loved it. Old Andy Pyers looked after the dog in the tucker box and the souvenirs and all that. And, and they had the matchbox covers, you know, you put in. On the back of the matchbox cover was a palm with all the dashes. Ah. And on the front was a photo of the dog in the tucker box. Oh, very good. And as yeah, a kid, I, I sort of liked the dashes. So. I don't know whether we got one of them out the back or not, but we've got a couple of old matchboxes out, out there. But yeah. I don't know if we've got a dog on the tucker box. Bill the Bullock, it's called, and it was written by Jack Moses, I believe, in 1830. 
That always coming down Conroy's Gap, I heard a maiden cry, there goes Bill the Bullocky and he's bound for Gundagai. Not a better poor old bugger ever cracked an honest crust. And not a better poor old bugger ever drug a whip through dust. His team got bogged at the Five Mile Creek. Bill laughed and swore and cried, if Nobby don't get me out of this, I'll tattoo his bloody hide. And Nobby strained and broke the yoke, then poked out the leader's eye. And then the dog, shit on the tuck of that side, and miles from Gundagai. <laughs> well done, well done. There are a couple of versions of it, but that's the one I know. Too. That's the one you know. Right. Too. That's the one I know too. Right. One I added too, but it's not for here. Okay. And uh, and then there's a bit more. I heard one was that uh, while he's bogged in there and he can't pull him out, and they're in a little of a mess, and he thought he praying to God, and he threw a five pound note in the mire. And anyway, the old bullock is strained and whatever, and they got him out. Then he spent the rest of the afternoon fossicking around look at that. to get his five pound back. You bought one more thing by yeah, the look of it. Yeah, we have a go at this one. Now, this little one here, and you're happy with that. Yes, please. It's not racist, I love it. And it's uh, about, you know, you call them blackfella black and whatever. Mm. And uh, it says, dear white fella, a couple of things you ought to know. Firstly... When you born, you're black. Well, this is the black fella. Mm. When I'm born, I'm black. When I grow up, I'm black. When I get sick, I'm black. When I go out in the sun, I'm black. When I get cold, I'm black. And when I get scared, I'm black. And when I die, I'm black. But you white fella, when you born, you're pink. When you grow up, you're white. When you get sick, you're green. When you go out in the sun, you're red. <laughs> When you get cold, you're blue. And when you're scared, you're yellow. And when you die, you're purple. And you got the cheek to call me colours. <laughs> Brian Smith is a local man about town who's had a bit of a colourful life. He was chatting there to Graham Farham. huge thank you to Graham Farron for doing all the work for this week's episode of The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events and personalities from around the Bega Valley. Graham's guest this week was Brian Smith, a local personality from around the Bega Valley. Don't forget you can catch all episodes of The Local Update from previous weeks at indymedia.com.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast using your favourite podcast provider and while you're there, why not write a review and rate the program? Indie Media recognises the Yuan people as the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast and pays respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. If you've got any ideas for issues, events or personalities that we should be talking about on the program, indiemedia.com.au is the website. You can find all the details you need about how to contact me right there. My name's Indy Wood. Thanks for your time this week. I'll catch you again next time. Bye now.